We will now go ahead and begin to take a look at the book of 1 Thessalonians. Thessalonians is another epistle or letter, if you will, written by the Apostle Paul. It is believed to be the oldest letter written to a church by the Apostle Paul, though others dispute that and say that Galatians was his first letter. And well, either way you go, um, a cool fact to me about the the city of Thessalonica, as Paul writes to the believers there, uh, Thessalonica is actually still in existence today. Uh, however, it's most often referred to now as Thessalonikai or Thessaloniki, however you want to say it. But uh, it's it's a very important economic city for Greece, and it's uh, second only uh, to Athens in population. It was originally called Therma due to the fact that there are many hot springs there. Uh, its name was changed in 315 B.C. to Thessalonica, uh, being named after the sister of Alexander the Great. Now, in 168 B.C., when Rome conquered Macedonia, they made Thessalonica, though it's not part of Macedonia today, but the Romans made it the capital of the entire province. So there's a lot of history to this city. And just one last more kind of modern day point of interest Thessalonica was captured by uh, the German army during World War II. And there were about 60,000 that were deported and exterminated. 60,000 Jews that were deported from Thessalonica and exterminated by the Nazi regime. So with all that, How did the Apostle Paul get there in the first place? How did he come to to even know these people? Well, now that you have your Bibles open probably to uh, 1 Thessalonians, you can go ahead and mark this page and and, uh, turn in your Bibles back to the book of Acts. I want you to look at Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. And we'll go ahead and start reading in verse 1. So Acts 17, 1, it says, Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, He went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and, gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar, 
and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, There is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Wow, so what a way to plant a church, huh? They went to Thessalonica, did what they always did, and that is to go into the synagogue and reason with the Jews, sit down with them and explain to them from the scriptures, which, of course, you know, they didn't have the New Testament letters that we have now, right? Pretty much they had the Old Testament. But they explained to them that Jesus is the Christ. And uh, he, Jesus was the one that they had been waiting for, the Messiah. Now the Gentiles, right, the Greeks, right, and some of the leading women, we read there, they believed and they joined with Paul and Silas. But the Jews, they went hunting for Paul. And they didn't want to hear it. So Paul and Silas were securely led out of town and they went to Berea. They would uh, have great success in Berea. As the people there, you know, they very readily received the word in Berea. But Paul and Silas and Timothy ended up in Athens. But but they were in Thessalonica for three Sabbaths, right? Three weeks, and in that short amount of time, a church body was planted. Those Greeks and leading women were the original structure of the body of Christ in the city of Thessalonica. You know, I think it's kind of a shame that this kind of thing doesn't go on today more often. Of course, we know there are church plants, and then, uh, you know, a church goes and claims a certain territory, and doesn't really like it when another church comes too close to them, but it'd be awesome today if the body of Christ grew in a different way. You know, if you, for example, are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, and you have a desire in your heart to share God's Word and teach it with others, start a Bible study. Do it in your home. Find a local coffee shop or someplace that will let you do it where you can where you can go out and do a do a bible study you know, tell people about Jesus Christ let people grow in the grace and in the knowledge of of him and then if if it grows if your bible study grows you can start a church you know a traditional church or you can better yet split that bible study off send those people out into another community into another neighborhood where they can share Jesus Christ and the truth of the word. This is the way it worked in the early church. You know, unfortunately, today it doesn't quite work that way amongst the body of Christ. We have our denominations and our non-denominations, and we have uh, people that get excluded and things like that. But it's interesting to see the way a church plant started here. Now, of course, there was persecution. And in many ways today, when you step out 
you want to just simply go out and share God's word and that gets placed on your heart, there'll be persecution. Sometimes there'll be those that come hunting for you. They won't like the fact that you're you're doing what you're doing, where you're doing it. And again, that's a, a sad story within the body of Christ today far too often. But now as we go ahead and we turn back to 1 Thessalonians, Paul, he's now writing in them, and, and I'm sure he's sorry that he had to get out of town like he did, but the mob was angry, and the Spirit of the Lord had plans for Paul to be somewhere else, and Paul and Silas and Timothy. So Paul now is writing the believers in Thessalonica. In verse 1, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, it says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, a very customary way for Paul to start his letters. I've discussed those words, grace and peace to you, and teachings in the past, so we won't touch on them again right now. But verse 2 says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. So Paul, Silvanus, and, and Timothy prayed together, and when they did, they prayed for those believers in Thessalonica. It was a rough place to be a Christian, as were most of the places in that day. Remember, Jason, we read, was dragged in the streets and beaten simply because of the fact that he had housed Paul. And Paul knew that this was a fruitful group of believers. And in verse 3 he says, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father. Know and beloved, brethren, your election by God. So the believers in this city were called by God for such a time as this. They had an election. They had a purpose. They were elected by God to be where they were. They would have a great impact on that region. Paul said he remembered without ceasing. In other words, they were always on his mind. And what were they on his mind for? Well, first of all, their faith that produced works. They didn't have a dead faith. If you turn to the back of your Bibles to the book of James chapter 2. And I'm having you turn there because here in Thessalonians, Paul said that uh, he remembered that their work of faith. Then in James chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. So right off the bat, what's this talking about here? Do not hold the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. What's being said here is that when you are living out your faith, don't show favoritism. Keep that in mind as we move on here. Verse 2, For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, 
And there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Wow. Do you see that there? It's actually an evil thought if you esteem one person over another. Think about that. It's an evil thought if you esteem one person over another. Verse 5, Listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the, the royal law, according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Okay, now remember what we're talking about here. We're talking about faith in action, faith on display. Right? Faith on display more specifically in the way that you treat others. The main thing that I am to do, the, the main thing that as a person of faith you are to do, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And verse 10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So use your faith to reach out to other people. Put your faith on display by the works that you do, by the way that you actually live, right? We talked last week about being known for mercy and love. And here's an example in verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Now, you see, many people get confused on this scripture. They say, well, doesn't faith save us? No, God's grace saved you and faith got you there. You did have to do something to come to Christ, right? You had to repent. See, a lot of people leave that out of the gospel teaching today. Right? But you have to die to the old man and you have to put on a new man. Right, but that's another topic. Back on the subject here, verse 15 says, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? You see, so many times it's just so easy to say, Ah, oh, I'll pray for that person. Rather than asking yourself, is there something 
that you can do. We see that far too much in the body of Christ today. A need gets made known within the body of Christ and a believer says, I'll pray for you. Instead of going home and maybe taking inventory in their own home and saying, oh, I have this, I don't need it, I can give it to them if that fulfills their need. Or, hey, I've got this. I can sell it. Then I could take the money and give it to them if that fulfills their need. But the body of Christ severely lacks in this area. And, and that's the reason there's so much dead faith within the body of Christ. You know, when you see someone without shoes or very worn down shoes at best. You know, praying for them means absolutely nothing. Go in your closet and get one of the five pair of shoes out that you have and give it to them. You know, there are many examples like this that we can talk about, but the point is, is that we're active in our faith. We're actually doing something. And verse 17 says, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Right? Open quote, end of quote there, right? You have faith, and I have works. In other words, someone says, Ah, oh, that's, that's not my calling. Yeah, I'm just called to pray. You, you have faith that something good will someday happen for that person in need and, and you pray for him. Well, what's the response to that quote there? Well, it says, show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Listen, faith requires works. If you sit in a Bible study week after week, to increase your faith, year after year, but you do nothing? You don't get out and, and change things? Then you have a dead faith. Works in the name of Jesus is faith on display. Let me repeat that. Works in the name of Jesus is faith on display. Verse 19, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. <laughs> I want to take a little liberty here, and I'll give you my version of that scripture. It goes like this. You believe in God, the one true God? Well, la ti da, big deal. Satan's demons believe the same thing. So you're on equal ground. Hmm. But back to the Word of God here, verse 20. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? I didn't read that like the question that it is. Let me read it again. But do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? 
So verse 17 and verse 20 basically say the same thing. Your faith is dead. The faith that is put on display for others to see, that faith is dead unless you're actually doing something. And flipping back now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul always thought about and he always remembered the works that the believers in Thessalonica did by faith. And then another thing that verse 3 tells us that Paul remembered about them was their labor of love. So their faith produced works and their love produced labor. Now, what's the difference between work and labor? Well, here in this verse, there's two Greek words used, and you can look them up, but one is ergon and the other is kapos. Ergon means pleasant and stimulating, and kapos means strenuous and sweat-producing. So again, one means pleasant and stimulating, And the other means strenuous and sweat-producing. So, I would ask you, what do you do for a living? Do you work or do you labor? (laughs) You might say neither. My job is not pleasant and stimulating, nor is it strenuous and sweat-producing. Well, I guess you just have to call that a job then, huh? (laughs) Anyway, two different Greek words. Paul knew that the Thessalonians did both. They worked for the Lord in a way that is pleasant and stimulating by reaching out and helping the poor and those that had needs that they could meet. But they also labored for the sake of the gospel because there was much affliction. They were believers in Jesus Christ. And that's why they had much affliction and they labored for the sake of the gospel. You see, if you step up today and and you do begin to live out your faith, it'll be pleasant and stimulating. You know, if you give to people that have need, if you find ways to do this, it'll be pleasant and stimulating. Right, if you come out of your cushy little world and reach out to others. But also step out and labor for the gospel. Do something that makes you sweat. I'm not talking about physical labor. I'm talking about when you share the gospel with someone else. This makes you you're nervous sometimes, doesn't it? This can make you sweat. And then you might be persecuted for doing it you might find yourself with some affliction. But the word to the Thessalonians then is the word to you and me now. So now, again, back in verse 3, their faith produced work and their love produced labor. What else? Well, it says that their Hope produced patience. That word patience there in the original Greek means steadfastness, constancy, 
endurance. You press on because of the hope that lies within you. You know where you are going when this life is done. There's a very bright light at the end, and, and it's, in, it's an eternity with Jesus that awaits you. This life will, and you know, this life does bring all kinds of trials. Self-inflicted trials, a, a fallen world-inflicted trials, health-related trials, job-related stress, and what the Thessalonians were going through that we also should experience is trials because of their faith in Jesus Christ. But in all of this, there is hope. The hope of eternity. Remember, this place isn't our home. We're just passing through. Don't expect too much from this life, but live this life to the fullest in the name of Jesus Christ. Because of the blood of Christ, because of God's grace, because of your turning to Him, you are now His child. Let's move on, verse 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. So Paul says, hey, we lived it out too. We just didn't give you a bunch of empty words. They were led by the Spirit. And in a very short time, remember, three Sabbaths, in a very short time, they changed that whole city for Jesus Christ. What could you do in your neighborhood if you lived out your faith? And then in verse 6, he says to them, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believed. So again, it wasn't easy times. There was much affliction, but they received the word with joy of the Holy Spirit. And I often wonder what the body of Christ would be like today in America if we had much affliction. Maybe we become so soft because it's just too easy for us here. But we have the word that instructs us on how we should live and we need to receive the word with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Though the word at times ruffles our feathers, if you will, doesn't it? But in the Holy Spirit, we can receive the word of God with joy. And verse 8 says, For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. 
So again, Paul is very blessed in his knowledge of the way these Christians were living in this city. Their faith toward God was well known throughout a large area. Now, we can't read a passage like this without wondering how well known is our faith today in the body of Christ or as the body of Christ. And I would encourage you to go before the Lord in prayer with that question and ask, Lord, how well known is my faith? When you go to work, is your faith well known? When you're out and about in your neighborhood with your neighbors or whatever and you see them, is your faith well known? Speaking of the people that were impacted by the faith of the Thessalonians, Paul says in verse 9, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That gives us a little insight there, doesn't it? They once served idols, but they repented and they turned to the living and true God. And again, their changed lives had a a great impact on the world around them. You see, there's a testimony that you have. It may not be a spectacular testimony, but God did something in your heart in one way, shape, or form when you turned to Jesus Christ. He did an amazing work in your heart. And maybe as you seek the Lord in prayer, you'll find that you haven't turned from all that much. And maybe your faith is impacting many people because, or excuse me, maybe your faith is not impacting many people because you're simply not living it out. You see, far too often today, the church has become in-reaching. We are quick to show partiality and help our own, which of course, you know, is the right thing to do, but we can't walk past the lost people of the world and not put our faith to work, right? We've got to make our faith known in this world because that's what's going to lead others to Christ. They're going to see our faith. They're going to see our love, most importantly. They're going to see the hope that we have, and they're going to want to come to Jesus themselves. Christianity, in, in many ways, has become a country club. We go to our gatherings, we have our programs, our entertainment, but we have no impact on the lost and dying world around us. Remember, why did Jesus come? He came to do what? To seek and to save the lost. My hope is that when people gather for Bible studies with me, that 
this ministry, the ministry of abounding love, our our, our website outreach, the teachings that go out. Um, my hope is that we would abound in love toward people without Christ, but that we would also be known as, as a body of believers that looks out for one another, as we'll study as we get more through the New Testament here, right? The Word of God for all these years hasn't changed, and it never will. In it, we see things like this, right? The recording of the facts of one group of believers in one city. They impacted the world around them. Sure, they had problems, the people of the, the believers of Thessalonica. And, and we'll see some of that as we continue to study this letter. But God wanted us to see through these people that we too are to have faith that works, a love that labors, and a hope that is patient. Because today, as modern-day believers, we, as verse 10 says, it says, we continue to do what? We, to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So Jesus was raised from the dead. And because of him, we have been delivered from the wrath to come. But this is not just for us. It's for the whole world. Again, how can your faith produce works? How can you have a labor, a labor of love in the name of Jesus Christ? And as we continue with patience in, in the hope that we have eternal life, how can we impact the people of the world around us? We see it here in the Word, right? So now we're accountable to live it out. But it's not to be a burden. It happens with the joy of the Holy Spirit. If it's treacherous for you to share your faith, then you may be missing the simplicity of love. You may be missing the simplicity of God's love, the simplicity of the gospel. What unsaved person in your sphere of influence requires a lot of patience from you? Because remember, love is patient. Show kindness, right? Because love is kind. Be humble in the sight of others because love is not puffed up. Just let the world around you know God's love in your actions. And His love in Jesus Christ, right? Let the world know how His love through Jesus Christ has impacted you and how it continues to impact your life. You see, there's no greater thing that you can do than to show your faith through your works in your love of Jesus Christ. 